Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Helix Reviews Podcast. My name is David Arrington, bringing you reviews from a Christian geek worldview. And today on the show, I'm talking about the sequel to my favorite video game of all time, The Last of Us Part 2 is finally here, and man, I am excited to talk about this game. I've played all the way through it at this point. I was going to do a, a like, a, a first reactions kind of episode where, uh, you know, like, the, the day it released or the day after it released or something, I was going to do an episode where I just, I, I talk all about it there, but ultimately... Uh, when I was playing it, I was like, man, I, I don't want to have to stop playing this in order to record the episode. So in, in place of recording episodes uh, multiple times these last couple of weeks, uh, I, I instead played The Last of Us Part 2, uh, which I guess automatically tells you something about the game that I didn't want to stop in order to do something else. I didn't. <laughs> but that didn't end up happening. Now I'm just here with a full review. Spoiler free at first. I'm going to get into some spoilers near the end of the episode. But for now, completely spoiler free. Uh, let's just, I, I'm going to structure this like I structure my movie reviews with the synopsis, the themes, and then the actual review. So let's just jump into this thing. Yes. I know you wish things were different. I wish things were different. Ellie! But they ain't. Please stop! The Last of Us, Part 2. Five years after the events of The Last of Us, Ellie embarks on yet another journey through the post-apocalyptic America on a mission of vengeance against... Spoilers, guys. Jeez. I'm leaving tomorrow. To do this smart, we'd be leaving Jackson vulnerable. So they just get to get away with this? How'd you find us? All right, this is the part of the show where I talk about the themes, the messages, the ideas that pop out of this game, and I, I break those down from a, a Christian world view. Now, uh, I, I don't always do this with video games because uh, oftentimes video games, the, the story uh, is a little less and the gameplay is a little more or whatever. You know, how much I break down the thematic nature of a, a video game kind of varies a little bit more. Whereas with movies, I always, I always try to kind of hit that a little bit more often. Uh, that said, I always think games have themes and thematic material in them pretty much all the time. So maybe I, I should, uh, do it more often for video games, but here we are, going to talk about The Last of Us 2, a very story-heavy game, and so I'm going to be talking about some of the themes of that, that come out of this story very strongly, and I mean, this, I think, I should just, I should just tackle this now, I guess, you know, because this game has a heavy emphasis on a lesbian relationship between uh, Ellie 
and Dina. Because Ellie, turns out, uh, she's a lesbian. Uh, that was revealed in uh, in the Left Behind uh, DLC for the first game. The whole first game, you don't even know anything. You know, they don't say anything. Then it's just like, hey, guess what? Yeah, she's homosexual. There's also a character in here who is a girl that thinks she's a boy. So she's transsexual, I guess. Uh I guess I'll, I'll get more to that specifically in a second. Uh, I I guess I should just I should just tackle this now. This is a topic I've touched on a little bit in the past, but it's not anything that I I dived into too heavily before. Mostly because this is just like a really hot button kind of topic. It's a hard kind of in some ways it's kind of a hard topic to discuss just because it's. Uh, again, it's just such a hot button, hot topic in our culture today. And no matter what I say about it, I would will be stepping on some people's toes and making some people mad, you know. And that's not my intention, and that's not really the point of the podcast or anything. You know, that's that's not what I want to do with the podcast. That said, uh, I. I, I want to speak the truth, you know, I, I don't want to dance around the truth or I don't want to lie or go against what I believe to be true in order for, you know, to please some people or, or whatever, you know, I'm going to say what I believe to be true and I, I think the Bible is pretty clear about homosexuality and pretty clear that homosexuality is a sin, it's an abomination, and it is it is absolutely wrong. Uh, so so just <laughs> just gonna put some verses out here. Leviticus eighteen twenty two. Do not practice homosexuality. Having sex with another man as with a woman, it is a detestable sin. Leviticus twenty thirteen. If a man practices homosexuality, having sex with another man as with a woman, both men have committed a detestable act. They must be put to death, for they are guilty of a capital offense, uh, which is, which is huge in our culture. Like if, if putting people to death that were homosexuals, now this is in the old Testament here, uh, as far as, as the, well, these couple verses that I just read and the putting them to death. Now, you know, that, I mean, immediately that sounds extreme to me. Like, oh wait, we should put people to death that practice homosexuality or something. Immediately that sounds like too extreme to me, but you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if this is one of the things that, you know, being in the Old Testament, this is one of the laws that have kind of passed away and now the, the new laws are here. What You know, all, all that jazz. It's, it's very controversial there. Again, another hot button topic there as far as uh, what exactly all of that uh, means and, and how all of that exactly works. Uh, that said, you know, even moving to the New Testament, uh, there still are several Bible verses about homosexuality and them being wrong. The, either way, even if you don't say, okay, maybe it's not the capital offense anymore or whatever, the the principle is still the same. It is still that detestable and that wrong. Uh, so a few more verses here. 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. Now we know that the law is good. If one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexual 
sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Their homosexuality is in context with, in the same breath as slave masters, as people who beat up their parents, you know, people who murder and, and, you know, practice all kinds of unsound doctrine because that is that is the the place where homosexuality fits uh one more here and i think this one if if we're not already here yet in our our country and our culture uh we are close i think romans 1 and here we got romans so this is a new testament romans 1 24 through 27 so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator whom himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the woman turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulge in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned for lust with each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty that they deserved. So here we have... Uh, men and women committing, uh, you know, committing acts of, of homosexuality, and they're in that they are trading the truth of God for a lie. They're worshiping and serving the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, right? Instead of God, the Creator, they're 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 worshiping the things that that He created through this and. They, they are turning on the way, the very way that God created the world. Because it says, even women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. So it's the, the, the very natural way to have sex, you know, man and woman clearly made to have sex with each other. And they are even... You know, they're breaking away from what is obviously and evidently the natural God-created way to have sex in order to, you know, engage in, in homosexuality. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, there we got several, and that's not even all of them. There is other places in the Bible that talk about homosexuality and that condemn homosexuality and, and talk about it being a, a wrong and, and negative thing, ultimately, uh, because it's... It's, it's breaking down God's natural created order, the, God, the way that God naturally created the world, and it's, it's breaking down the, the picture that God uses for uh, marriage as our relationship with God, where we are the, you know, we are the, the bride and God is the bridegroom, you know, whereas it's, it's breaking that down because then you have, now you have two men and two women instead of the, the man and the woman. So it's, it's even breaking down the imagery that God places in the way that we're supposed to live our lives that will reflect 
God himself. And it's interesting talking to people about homosexuality and, and how kind of big it is today, how it's a prevalent idea today and and something that our our culture is struggling with and ultimately Christians right now are, are losing the war against homosexuality right now for sure. They're they're so quiet about it, you know, the like that that's why I talk about it on here. You know, it's not because I, I wanna bring up hot button issues, it's not because I wanna go against the grain or anything like that. What I do on the podcast is I look at the themes that come out in the media and I, I talk about it and I, I try to express some of the themes that I see coming out of the media and I think it's important to speak the truth and the the one definitive truth that is true about the stuff that I'm seeing in the media and that's what I am seeing here. And so, it, you know, I, I wasn't looking for a place to talk about homosexuality, but it pops out as an obvious place to talk about it here. And talking to people about it, it's, it is interesting because, so, like, I've heard, I've heard a couple of different people say how it, it just, like, it, it happened so suddenly, it happened so fast. And, you know, it's like, kind of, where did this kind of come from kind of mentality when, when looking at homosexuality in our culture and now suddenly... You know, now suddenly it's it's becoming only socially acceptable to to accept it, right? You are not accepted if you don't accept this thing that is is you know this this minority is is screaming this very loud minority is is screaming and telling you about to to believe and all this kind of stuff. But it's like this is not new, really. This has been coming for a long time and it's it's probably I got I got a list of things here of of where it's coming from and I'm sure it goes back before this but in the like the 50s and the 60s is when divorce got easier you know it, it got divorce got a lot easier with the courts giving like a wider and wider berth as to what is a a viable reason for divorce you know what uh you know and, and ultimately that's kind of making marriage less and less sacred right there. It's making it less sacred. It's making it less important. You know, it's, it's marriage is not this sacred set apart thing anymore when it gets to be very easy to, to break the marriage and to break something that God has put together. Uh, Mark 10, seven through nine, uh, says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, by the way. There you got a male and a female. And the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. This is why uh, premarital sex shouldn't happen, by the way. Uh, and therefore, God has joined. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And there, okay, there is an argument against the divorce and especially against, you know, making divorce easy. Now, I do think that there is a biblical reason for divorce. I think that that window of a reason is very small. If you want to look into that more, uh, 1 Corinthians 7 is where I would point you for that. So that's like the 50s and 60s. Then came the 70s, uh, the, no, the 60s. Then come the 60s with like the sexual revolution, right? It's huge. And that, that separates sex from marriage, you know? So now, so the solidity of marriage here is already like starting to break apart, right? So why would an act that's supposed to be, you know, holy, it's supposed to be set apart for marriage, 
you know, if, if marriage is less important, if marriage is no longer sacred, why could you not do that act outside of that relationship, outside of marriage? Hebrews 13, 4, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So the sexual revolution was a very bad thing and something that ultimately led to homosexuality, which is the next step here, because this leads to homosexuality, because if sex is no longer for the purpose that it was before, you know, unifying a man and a woman, both physically and spiritually in marriage, the two becoming one flesh, right? If sex doesn't mean that anymore, then why not two women have sex? Why not two men have sex? Why not? If, if, if it's just about the pleasure, if it's just about the physical, why can't there be homosexuality? Why can't there be gay marriage or any of this kind of stuff? Then the next natural extension onto that is gender fluidity. So you got like a bi and trans people, you know, the whole LGBTQ, all that jazz. Uh, you know, if we're breaking down the very way that God created the world to be by people of the same sex having sex, then why not break that down further? Why not blur the line between the sexes, right? Is there even a definitive male and female? Is there something in between maybe, you know, that you could be? Is What if you don't think that you're either? Can you choose maybe, you know? Genesis 1 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We are made either male or female right there in the Bible. Genesis, just right off the bat, the Bible says we are made male or we are made female. There is no in-between and there is no, there is no trans. There is no, oh, I'm, I was born as a male, but I, I think I'm a female, and so I should change. No matter what you do to your body, if you get surgeries and manipulate your body to look like you're a man when you're a woman, you're still a woman. It doesn't matter. You can't change your sex because that is something that you are born as. That is just a part of who you are, and there's nothing you can do about that. That's just the way God made you, and there's nothing that you can do to actually change that. And in the future, this is going to lead to things that are even worse down the line. This is going to lead to things like polygamy. Uh, you know, you, we've broken down what marriage is, you know, we've broken down what sex is. So why not be able to marry multiple people? You know, I mean, you know, why can't a man have two wives and a woman have three husbands? You know, I mean, who are you to say that two men and, and four women all can't be married, right? Love is love, right? That's the argument. And honestly, I, I don't think that's very far away. I don't think polygamy is very far away. I think that's going to become like what homosexuality is right now. Unless, unless the course of our country changes, which hopefully it does. But that's going to become the way homosexuality is now with people fighting for it and all this kind of stuff to make it normal. It's going to be like that in my lifetime. That's, that's, I firmly believe that. Another step down the line would be bestiality. You know, okay, uh, you know, sex no longer means what it what it should mean, and sex you can you can break who you have sex with as far as the male and the female and that. So why not take it a step further? Why not have sex with a dog? Why not have sex with a, a cow? Why not have sex with any other animal? Because 
why not? If it's about the physical, if it's about the pleasure, if that's what pleasures you, why can't you have sex with an animal? So that's, that is another step that I imagine would be slightly further down the road, but that that's another step I see coming down the line. And so, you know, we're, we're kind of at a, a critical time as far as some of this, this stuff going on in our culture. And I think that we as Christians, if you're, if you're a Christian and you're, you believe what I'm saying right now, we need to, we need to say something, you know, we need to say something. We don't, we, we shouldn't just be quiet about this because this is, this is an important truth. You know, this is, this is something that, that leads to worse and worse things down the line. This is something that, that ultimately, you know, it, it leads to the idea that we can, we can make up our own mind about how the world works. And then the world just works for you that way. Which, which obviously is not how the world actually works because there is a definitive truth. But because of the way we live our lives, there can't be a definitive truth because it would clash with the way that we think we are or the way we think we live our lives. But there is a definitive truth and we live into that despite the fact that we say we don't because there is a definitive truth and there's nothing you can do about it. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty screwed up. <laughs> So The Last of Us heavily features a, uh, a lesbian relationship here, and then there's the a trans character also in here, and uh, it's unfortunate. It's uh, it's the kind of thing where this this game is definitely one that is kind of just kind of normalizing it. You know, it's kind of just saying like, "Oh, look, this is it. This is here, but it's normal, and we're not really gonna." discuss it too much it just is the way that it is and don't even worry about it you know uh they actually they discuss the trans character more than they discuss the uh the the lesbians and characters and stuff like that you know so it's like it, because the lesbian relationship is just kind of like oh it just it just is you know and that's not it's just completely unquestioned you know and so ultimately thematically for a game where I was I was shocked at how much I actually kind of agreed with some of the stuff that the characters did in the first game that was controversial. In this game, they're doing the controversial stuff, and I'm like, yeah, I, I don't agree with this. And I'm, I'm going to say something here to you guys about this, because I do think that a lot of the stuff that this game is promoting in this way is wrong. You can't stop this. <laughs> I want what you want, but not at any cost. I was extremely excited for this game because this is the sequel to my favorite game of all time. The first Last of Us game is my favorite game of all time. It, in my mind anyway, it kind of blew the doors off of what could be phenomenal storytelling in video games and there had been some good stuff before then you know I mean games like Bioshock came out before then which has some really good storytelling I think the Uncharted games also made by Naughty Dog definitely kind of led the way to something like this but then The Last of Us comes out it has just the, a phenomenal story a phenomenal characters so much uh, just amazing craft to this game and a story told in a way that is is video game storytelling and the way video game storytelling should be in my opinion and that just 
all those things combined kind of boosted that game up to my favorite game of all time. Now we have finally, seven years I think it was since this last game, now we have the sequel, we have the follow-up, what happens next now, dude, okay, uh, I'm gonna go spoiler free here for this one, spoiler free, uh, but this is just once again absolute top tier video game storytelling top tier characters and character work going on in this game this is in my opinion video game storytelling at its its best you know i've never played another game that tells a story as effectively as naughty dog tells their stories which is the developers here so uh, especially after Last of Us. You know, Last of Us, Uncharted 4, and now The Last of Us Part 2 are all just the, the most top-tier storytelling in video games you, I've ever seen. And I, I don't see anyone making video games that even really comes close, in my opinion. And that is definitely, definitely the case in this game. Now, there are also, there's parts in this game that you can only really be told in a video game, at least if you want to tell it as effectively as they did, because they did some really weird and some really interesting story decisions in this game that, for the most part, I really enjoyed. Now, uh, once again, the, the character development in here is just absolutely phenomenal. They're, they're giving us new characters to love or to hate or whatever, but they also keep uh, adding layers to the characters that we, you know, already know. So Ellie back, and Ellie is fantastic. You know, we love Ellie from the first game, and in this game, you know, something bad has happened, and Ellie is on the warpath, right? She's out for revenge, and seeing this side of her, which we've seen kind of elements of before, we've seen elements of in the first game, but just bringing so much more hatred and fury to this character that we love, and just seeing her kind of doing this, even though this is kind of very destructive to her life, and destructive to her relationships, and all this kind of stuff, some very interesting stuff going on with Ellie, uh, Dina, is Ellie's girlfriend, so there's the lesbian relationship going on there. They do get you to like uh, Dina. She is kind of the uh, it's the the doting wife kind of character because of the two. Ellie is the more kind of masculine masculine of the two, and then Dina is the more feminine of the two, I suppose. And uh, so she kind of plays that role a little bit, but uh, but they do. I think they do a good job. They do a good job at at giving you these two characters uh, and making you like these two characters. And for good or ill, as far as you know, as how I view the uh, the homosexuality in here, they uh, they have great chemistry together. And they uh, yeah, they do. Joel, Joel's back, man. I love Joel. And I love Ellie. These two characters are some of my favorite characters. And so Joel, back in this game, I love it. He's great. He's great. His dynamic with Ellie, once again, absolutely fantastic. And the the relationship there is interesting. You know, based on some of the stuff that happened in the first game, and then some of the, the stuff that happens in this game, uh, just seeing 
their relationship and, and kind of some of the stuff that happens there, I think is, is very interesting. And they did some, some cool stuff with that. And I mean, once again, just the, the performance with, uh, with Joel is phenomenal. The performance with Ellie is phenomenal. Uh, Tommy, Tommy has a bigger role in this game than he did in the first game. And man, I love Tommy. I mean, I liked him in the first game, but man, you know, that's another character that's like, I liked him in the first game, but man, they add even more and more layers on top of this character. We see a side of Tommy that you'd never seen before too. And I, I really enjoyed his role in this game. I almost could have used a little bit more even with Tommy than we got, but I, I really liked uh, Tommy in this game. There's a lot of other characters. I don't want to, I don't want to dive into a lot of the characters because I don't want to spoil things. Because if you just went off the trailers, the trailers told you very little, and I, I don't want to, uh, I, I don't want to spoil anything. I will, I will go into spoilers later on. I, I'll say there's a character named Abby that is very interesting. She's a very interesting character, uh, and I, I thought some of the stuff they did with her character. Uh, was very interesting and, and very effective. That's all I'll say. Uh, now, if the first game was about the, the healing power of love, then this game is about the, destructi the destructive power of hatred. Because, like, thematically, that's, that's a heavy emphasis on this game, is the hatred and how that... The hatred and the revenge that, that is kind of driving Ellie is ultimately such this negative force that it will... It'll destroy her life if she doesn't stop. It'll destroy people's lives around her. It's just this this awful destructive force, uh, which which generally speaking, yes, I I would agree with that thematically. I didn't have that in the thematic section, but I I do I would agree with that generally speaking, uh, thematically there. And the the bad guys in this game, it's it's interesting. I think they do a really good job at showing you who some of these bad guys are and like what their motivations are and stuff, so that. You know, whether you, you know, you, whatever, whatever ultimately you think of the bad guys, you can at least understand where they're coming from and you can go, oh, okay, I, I can see where you're coming from at least, even though, uh, you know, even though I'm playing as Ellie on this destructive war path because I want to kill you. Uh, but, <laughs> but you can at least go, oh, okay, I can kind of see where some of these, these characters are coming from, which I, I think that is, is pretty well done. Now, I do think this story uh, it, it's moving along, it's moving along, and then it hits a point where it just, everything just kind of stops, and the, the game will kind of spin its wheels for a little bit, and now, even though the game is kind of spinning its wheels, and the, the main thrust of the story feels like it's, it's slowed to a crawl, uh, I mean, I still think the storytelling that's going on there is good, like, it's still quality, and I'm still enjoying it, but, the it, it just feels like it kind of it kind of kills the momentum in some ways of the game where it's moving along at a pretty good pace and it's building up and building up and then it's like wait hold on and now it's and it and then it keeps going you know it's like it's like it, it again it just kind of feels like it spins its wheels a little bit at a point where uh I understand what they were going for and I think to a certain extent it worked but uh but I have some issues with the way they did that. I'll, I'll get more into that stuff with the spoiler section. Uh, Gameplay-wise, I love this, man. In a lot of ways, this gameplay is just taking what worked about the first game and just expanding on 
that. And I'll say the gameplay pretty much falls into two categories here. Uh, we got action and we got exploration. Let's, let's, let's talk about exploration first. Exploration in this game is fantastic. It, it's great. Uh, this is the biggest Naughty Dog game so far that they've ever made. And with that comes these really large environments that are just filled with untold stories. You know, there's uh, obviously a lot of care put into these environments to make them interesting, to make them uh, unique, and to give them personality, you know? And they do, they also, you know, they do a great job at, like, hiding resources all around the levels to encourage you to explore, uh, you know, typical video game type stuff. But there is, like, completely missable, like, weapons and stuff, some major things if you don't go explore some of these, these bigger areas, you know? So there's the a big area, it's like, okay, this is where you need to go, but there's also this, these other explorable areas. You know, again, pretty typical video game stuff, but done very well. And fairly new to what Naughty Dog does. They did some of this in, uh, in Uncharted 4, but uh, fairly new to the way uh, Naughty Dog makes games, and definitely not the way it was in the, the first game, especially not to this extent. Uh, the, the resource management, I will say, does seem a little bit out of whack sometimes. And sometimes it seems like, I'm, like, constantly finding ammo for one gun, and I'm, like, empty of an, in another gun, and maybe I'm just supposed to be using the other gun more or something. I, I do tend to vary up my weapons and everything, it seems like, so it seems like I... I, I use all the weapons pretty much, and so uh, the, the main ones I didn't use too much were the bombs, uh, because they have a bomb where you can sit there and then you go back and the enemies will come up and explode kind of thing, uh, which I used sometimes, but I, th those were the ones that I was kind of forgot to use. Uh, in the last game when they had nail bombs where you just chuck it at them, that was more like, I'd, I would do that because then i just chuck it out there, it'd kill a couple clickers or kill a couple dudes, and then you, you keep going forward from there, you know, whereas the, the ones where you set up and then you go back, those are the type of bombs in video games that I, I very rarely use. Though I will say a small detail in here that I thought was really cool is I, I really appreciate that your character actually picks up the items as opposed to almost every other game ever made where they just kind of wave their hand and the item just disappears and now it's in your inventory. Instead of that, the game, the Ellie will actually reach out and grab the bottle or grab the, you know, whatever off the shelf and stick it in her backpack, which is something you never see in a video game. It's, it's kind of insane. And it's, it's something that is, it's very rare in video games. I hope it becomes a more common thing in, in video games, at least, uh, at least some video games, you know, uh, if the, you got video games where you're riding on a horse and you're picking plants along the way, I mean, that's fine, it's video game, you know, it's whatever, but if you're, if you're picking up stuff, actually in having the character gr physically grab the things and put them in the backpack, I just thought that was an awesome little, uh, just an awesome little element of the game that I, that I enjoyed. Also, you can see yourself in mirrors in this game, which is like, that, that's something that you don't see very often in video games, but now you can see yourself in a mirror in this game, and uh, I hope that's another thing that just kind of becomes a standard moving forward. You know, just some of these little things where it's like it doesn't mean very much, not really, but the fact that in the video games, either every uh, mirror is insanely dirty, so you never see anything, or 
you're like a vampire, but just because you you have no reflection or something, it's always just like, oh, come on, guys. Where I understand it probably, you know, it's probably a lot more to making a mirror than what I would think. But either way, I, I just think it's cool that uh, we're starting to get video games with mirrors that work, you know? It's a stupid thing, but I like it. <laughs> the puzzles in this game, if you wouldn't call them puzzles... Uh, they, I'd say they're slightly more varied than the first game, and I think that's good. I, I liked it. You know, the, the puzzles, quote-unquote, in the first game, it's just, you know, you, you, oh, there's a ladder, there's a board, you know, and you set it somewhere, and, and that's that, you know. They, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty much still kind of those things, you know, but it's also just slightly more varied, you know, slightly different things, slightly different ways, but it's all that simple, that easy kind of stuff, which, which makes sense, you know, I mean, this isn't, this isn't Uncharted, we don't need a, a complicated, detailed puzzle to block the way, or anything, and so I'm, I'm totally cool with the, the puzzles being just simple, like, oh, to find a thing, or you pull a thing at the right time, or whatever kind of thing, as opposed to, uh, you know, doing anything too complex. You know, I, I more I more think that would just get in the way of the story that they're telling, right? Uh, I read all the notes in this game. Uh, some of them are interesting. Some of them are okay. Uh, the notes, if, if this wasn't The Last of Us Part Two, I probably would have stopped reading the notes because the notes aren't extremely interesting, in my opinion. I do find it interesting that there's no more audio logs in this one, though. The first game had audio logs where you would listen to. Uh, this one, that's gone. Uh... Don't know why, but okay, whatever. I mean, it's it's not a huge loss, but there is some, there could be some cool uh, world building stuff sometimes that, that goes into those audio logs. Uh, the action. So, and that was the exploration. The action is extremely intense, man. I played the first game again right before playing this one, and I mean, part of it is is definitely that I've played that game several times, and so, you know. It, I've played that multiple times, and whereas this one, this is the first time, but this game, it seems way more intense than the first game. Uh, I mean, maybe, it's hard to remember back, I guess, to the very first time I played it, if it was this intense for me, it probably was, but this is an extremely intense game. And once again, I think this game, it just, it takes what the first game did really well, and it expands upon that you know the first game it had the the crouch you throw a bottle and you you sneak around kind of gameplay that has since kind of become the standard for stealth gameplay especially in horror games i'm not going to say that last of us was the first by any means uh but after that i think it kind of became a, a standard as far as as stealth in in video games and stuff goes uh this game it takes that that kind of basic gameplay system and it it just adds more depth to that same basic system uh so of course you still have the crouch you can hide down behind stuff rocks and stuff and and you can uh hide in bushes this time uh you can also though you can also lay down which makes you harder to see but you also go significantly slower uh but i mean just just this right here adds like a whole nother layer of depth to the the stealth that I really like because you can be crouching and you can be in 
in the grass. Okay, grass also. This this introduces hiding in grass, which is, of course, not a revolutionary thing. We've seen that in tons of games, you know. But it wasn't in the first game. It's in this one. Uh, but you know, there's tall grass and there's short grass. And so in the tall grass, you can stealth along, crouched, and be hidden. But you're more hidden if you're laying down in the tall grass. Whereas crouched, they'll see you a little bit sooner. But in the short grass, you can lay down and it's like the same as if you're crouched in the tall grass. And so they can see you from a certain ways away and you don't have that extra blanket of laying back down even further to, to further hide yourself. It's just, once again, it just kind of adds a little extra layer to some of the stealthing around here that I uh, really enjoyed. I think also uh, how the enemies see you is a little bit different now too uh, with like, uh, you know, I think the first game, if they see you, it's just, it's on. Whereas this one, you do have that little window of, you know, period where they see you and you go, wait, wait, what? And then they walk over there and investigate and, you know, maybe a couple people come or something. And there's, I guess there's just an extra little layer there as well. Also, I love that you can use enemies against each other. If clickers or, or zombies or anything are in the same scene as people, you just get a bottle and you chuck it over by the people and the people are like, wait, what? where'd this bottle come from? And then suddenly the clickers and everything start running towards them and they have a big fight right there. It's like that. That is extremely fun. That was something that was introduced in uh, the DLC to the first game, actually. But that is extremely fun. Uh, there's new enemy types in this game, which is pretty cool. There's some new enemy uh, human types where you got, like, the big buff dude with the giant hammer kind of thing. And a few other, you know, just new enemy types that, uh, again, nothing, like, revolutionary as far as... Uh, as like new, never seen this before in a video game kind of thing, but just stuff that's done extremely well. Uh, and also you got dogs in this one, which can smell you. And so if you're sneaking all over the place, they can smell you and track down to you. Uh, and you cannot fist fight a dog. I tried to fist fight a dog on multiple occasions because suddenly he comes jumping out and I'm like, I just punch him. It doesn't work by the way. Uh, <laughs> uh, unless maybe, unless you have a stick or something then maybe you can hit a dog. But you got to kill dogs, by the way, in this game. Alert, alert. You kill hundreds of people, but you got to kill dogs. So alert, because people are sensitive about that for some reason. Uh, <laughs> obviously, I'm not. I love dogs, but come on, guys. People are more important than dogs. Come on, come on. Uh, you also got new zombie-type characters. You got... Uh, you, you got this kind of one that will stay more quiet than other ones, so it's harder to pick up on your radar sense. Those ones are creepy. They can come out of anywhere, and when you're in a place with those, it's like it runs off or something. It's just like, where where in the world is it? You know, and that just so intense, man. That adds to that intensity so much. You got the another kind of variation on the bloater from the first game, which is the, the big buff uh, enemy type you know, the tank kind of enemy type, you got another variation on that where, uh, and you know how the bloater will like pull off pieces of itself and throw it at you and spores will fly everywhere and hurt you and stuff like that. Well, this one basically rams into you and then just explodes into those things. But unlike some games where, you know, the enemy will explode and then be dead, this one's still alive to grab you and just beat you up there too. So you, it's like a bloater, but 
more dangerous? I don't know. I honestly don't know that it's more dangerous than a bloater. I would put them pretty much on equal terms, but they're just uh, dangerous in different ways, I suppose. Again, just some different cool, different enemy types that I enjoyed. I, I like that they are continuing to add some of the, the types like that. There's some other ones that I also won't spoil too, but that I, I really enjoyed. Uh, okay, the boss fights. So, some of the boss fights in this game are amazing. Are amazing. So, uh, there is one kind of boss-ish fight uh, where it's basically you fighting one of the, like, a just a big dude kind of fight, uh, which happens a couple different times kind of randomly, but it's, it's more or less the same fight every time, uh, which is fine. It's still fun. You kill tons of the same enemies over and over, so I don't... I don't necessarily have a problem with them using that over a few times. Uh, it was still fun each time it happened, and they kind of did things a little bit differently to add uh, add just little different dynamics to each one of those. But then there is wholly unique boss fights throughout here that are mostly all awesome. There's one that they is very kind of heavily scripted in the way that it is presented that makes it so it's not a, a great boss fight per se, but it's kind of a good moment in the game. Uh, but then there's other ones where it's just they're just great boss fights, you know, and there's 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 a few of those that it's just like, man, I loved this as a boss fight. It was so cool. There's one boss fight in particular that whenever the end of the year list comes around, that's probably going to win best boss fight. But I can't say it because it's spoilers, but it's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> all in all, The Last of Us Part 2, despite having, you know, some story issues with it, despite having, you know, some of these thematic issues with it, this is just some of the most fun I've had playing a video game in a long time. I enjoyed this so, so much. I loved it. Is it as good as the first game? No. No, it's not. And I didn't really expect it to be because the, my first game is the fav my favorite game of all time. So I, I didn't expect it to reach that height. But I, I loved some of these characters. I loved some of the story that was being told. The action, the gameplay was so engaging and so much fun that I just absolutely loved this game. We could have killed you. Maybe you should have. So my intention was to uh, talk spoilers at the end of this episode, but it's it's getting late right now, and uh, I'm not gonna be able to re be recording for very much longer here. So I'm I'm just gonna cut this off right now. This is gonna be the spoiler-free review, and I'm gonna do the. Uh, honestly, the next episode will probably be another best of the decade list episode, and then we'll have a spoiler episode for The Last of Us Part 2. So if you've played the game and you know the spoilers, shoot me an email. What did you think of all these spoilers? Podcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you guys about that. So coming up soon, a spoiler episode all about The Last of Us Part 2. Again, I was going to put it on the end here, but just with the way things are, are turning out here, uh, I want to I want to get this episode out soon, hopefully. I mean, I know it's already later than uh, I would have liked it to be, but this is a big, long game, and so 
It took a while to beat it, and I'm doing all the review and stuff for it, and now here it is. But, uh, you know, it's been a little bit longer than I would have liked to have, uh, have, have done this. But, irregardless, spoiler-free review, spoiler review coming up soon. Uh, that's it for this time. He Looks Reviews Podcast is a proud member of the Christian Geek Central Network, ChristianGeekCentralNetwork.com. Check it out. Uh, that's all for this time, guys. This is David Arrington of the He Looks Reviews Podcast, signing off. Bye-bye, guys.